prayer. Father in heaven, tonight as we open the Bible together, we are praying that your Holy Spirit will be here, that it will guide our minds as we look and examine this topic, a new world order, as we look at this subject tonight from Scripture. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, to begin this evening's subject, I want to ask a very important question. This might be considered like an existential question, but the question is, is there any meaning or direction to our existence? Maybe I should preface this by saying, many people wonder, is there even a God? If you go through the regular school system, you are taught to believe that we are biological accidents that are on this blue marble that's circling this star in a vast universe. But tonight, I want to share with you that there is an answer to this question. And to answer that question, I actually need to take you to a rather unusual story about two men. Now, you, won't recognize, um, you might recognize the man on the right. The man on the left is the Duke of Wellington. And it's very interesting. You might know that these two men, they met in battle in the month of June in the year 1815 in a place called Waterloo. What you may not know is that these two men actually have a very interesting history they were both the exact same age. They were both born on an island. They were both actually educated in the same school, the same military academy. They both lost their fathers very early. They both had three sisters and four brothers. What's very interesting is that these two men, they both knew each other. And from a, just a, like a tactical standpoint, they were both very, very smart. They were both good at math. They both became lieutenants very quickly within, the, within like a day's space. And what's also interesting is that these two men became commanders over very large armies. Now, some people, understanding the outcome of this history, they know that Napoleon lost at Waterloo, right? And, you know, different Historians have weighed in. Why? Why did Napoleon lose? Well, some people say that the area where the battle took place favored the Duke of Wellington. Other people say, well, it's because Napoleon up until that point had suffered two major defeats. He had gone into seclusion and hiding. And then when he came out of it, then, you know, here he was maybe a little bit rusty on his military skill. And, you know, the truth is that when you look at both of this, this, uh, these men, it's very fascinating that the answer as to why Napoleon failed may even be beyond just these very observable statistical things. Tonight I want to talk to you about a dream from an ancient king. Now, this story that I'm sharing with you, it's found in the Bible. You don't have to open it, if, but if you, you're welcome to follow along in your own Bible if it suits you. Now, people have asked me, they've actually called me from the number that's listed in the flyer, and they've asked me, what version of the Bible should we bring? And my response is always the same. Whatever version you're comfortable with, 
bring that version with you. Now, here in the seminar, in your pew in front of you, we've stocked it with New King James Version, which is what we have on the screen. But please, feel free to use whatever version you feel comfortable with because that's what we are encouraging you to do, and that is to see it for yourself in your own Bible. So, as I mentioned earlier, why did Napoleon fail? Well, it's actually connected to an ancient king's dream. Now, this man on the screen, it's an artist's depiction. He lived about 600 years before Christ was born. And if you wanted to know the region of the earth where he lived, you would have to fly to Iraq. And if you landed in Baghdad, you would go about 60 kilometers south. And if you could go back 2,600 years, you would find one of the wealthiest kingdoms that ever existed. Now, I'm going to read to you from the Bible, and I want you to please notice how the Bible describes this particular man. It says, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had what, everybody? He had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Have any of you ever had a really vivid, maybe disturbing dream? Have you ever had that before? Maybe you ate too much in the evening. You know, maybe you had too much pizza or you had steak, you know, and then you went to bed, then you tossed and turned. This wasn't a food-induced nightmare. This was something that had a divine origin. Let's keep reading. The Bible goes on to say that Nebuchadnezzar was so troubled by this dream that he called in his entire cabinet. Now, back then, that comprised a bunch of different types of people. We're going to read about them here in just a moment. But Nebuchadnezzar basically called in all of his advisors, and he wanted them to help him with this problem. What was the problem again? He forgot what he what? What he dreamed. He had a dream, but he didn't remember what he dreamed. So notice what the Bible says. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. Now, please notice that Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream. He woke up, he didn't remember what he dreamed, and he was very troubled. Now, he comes and he calls in all of his counselors, and he says, hey, I want you to tell me what I dreamed, and I want you to tell me what it means. Now, in times past, these men had been tasked with something similar. Not exactly the same, but similar. See, the king would have a dream, and he'd have some men that they would take like the liver of a young calf, and they would cut it open. And I've never done a dissection on a calf before, but you know that these types of organs, they have lots of blood vessels that have patterns, right? Well, they'd look at the pattern of the blood vessels, and they would try to divine some meaning based on those patterns. He had other men in his cabinet that were watchers of the stars. We call them astrologers. And they would look at the alignment of the heavenly bodies, and they would try to divine some meaning from that pattern. And then there was other men. They were magicians. They would actually take oil, pour it on water. Have you ever noticed that oil makes some interesting patterns when you pour it on water? And they would try to make some type of a meaning out of the patterns that they saw. 
So this was the kind of men that the king were calling for this particular task. Now, notice that the men asked the king to tell him, to tell them what he dreamed. The king was upset. Notice what he says. My decision is firm. If you do not make known, to, known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and the interpretation. Now, you have to understand that Nebuchadnezzar was a military man. He had successfully conquered many of the surrounding nations. He was a man that could actually execute what he threatened. So these men, I'm sure, were just not just afraid, but I'm sure they were very motivated to do what the king said. But notice what these men responded with. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain the time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its what? Its interpretation. So here is a very interesting scenario that was divinely ordained. Let's review. The king had a dream. He woke up. He didn't remember it. So now he calls in all these men. And he's asking them to tell him what he dreamed. And then tell him what it means. Well, as, we, as we're going to show you, this dream had a divine origin. In other words, God was trying to speak to this king, Nebuchadnezzar. And God knew that if Nebuchadnezzar remembered the dream and he shared it with these men, they would inadvertently fumble the interpretation. And so God made the circumstances such that Nebuchadnezzar in his mind, he had made the conclusion that whoever can tell me what I dreamed would have the credentials to tell me the exact meaning of that dream. So now we find that this situation has created a conundrum. These men are stuck. And did you know that the Bible teaches that only God can read our mind? Notice the Bible says, for you alone know the what? The hearts of all the sons of men. I want to say that this point is important to emphasize. I think that Satan can guess at what we're thinking, but only God knows what goes on, what goes on in our mind. So, you know, folks, I know that you, you, are, you and I both know this. There is no human being that can tell you what you dreamed even just five minutes ago. Does that make sense? There's no one on earth that can do that. But very interesting that here this, these men were stuck now. They were stuck because they had to tell the king what he dreamed. So notice now, these wise men, this cabinet, they actually say something true, maybe for the first time. Notice what they said. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except, except who? Except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, this point is actually true. They're saying, look, there's nobody else that can do this except the gods. Well, the king became very upset. And 
he realized, I think he first, for the first time, maybe realized that all these men, they were fake. So he made a decree that everyone should be killed. Now, the reason why we're reading a book tonight called the book of Daniel is because not everybody was killed. Not everybody was killed. Now, let's introduce Daniel. Daniel was not a magician. He was not a soothsayer. He was not an astrologer. Daniel actually wasn't even Babylonian. He was from a tribe of the Israelites called Judah. So we would call him today, we would call him a Jew. And he was part of the royal family. That's why he didn't get killed when Babylon invaded Judea. And what's interesting is that when Daniel was now part of this elite group of advisors to the king, he did something that is very, very interesting. The Bible says that Daniel went in and asked the king to give him what, everybody? To give him time. In other words, he wanted a chance to try to solve this particular problem. Now, something that I'm not going to read for you, but it, the Bible tells us, is that Daniel actually had some friends that he joined together with to pray for this particular problem. You see, all of them would have ended up being killed if they didn't do anything. And the Bible tells us that as Daniel prayed, God answered his prayer, and Daniel received understanding about the king's dream. So now in verse 27, the Bible tells us that Daniel goes in before the king, and notice what he said, the secret which the king hath demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But I want you to notice this next sentence. He says, but there is a, what everybody? There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Earlier tonight, we asked the question, is there a God? Are we just a biological accident that's on this little blue marble in this vast universe that's just here to live for a few years and then pass away into a meaningless, obscure nothing? Well, the Bible tells us that there is a God in heaven and that this God reveals secrets. I want you to notice that Daniel goes on to tell the king that now, please notice this. He has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the what days, everybody? In the latter days. Now, in some translations of the Bible, it says what will be in the last days. In other words, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had almost 2,600 years ago, we're not talking about that tonight just for fun. This story has relevance to the times even in which we are living right now. And I want to show you that in just a moment. Now, Daniel goes on, your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. You, O king, were watching and behold a great, what everybody? A great image. Did you see that? This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. The image's head was made of what substance? Fine gold. Its chest and arms, what else? What were they made of? Of silver. Its belly and thighs were made of what? bronze, and then it says its legs were made of iron, and its feet were part of iron and part of what other substance? Part of clay. Then Daniel tells him, you watched while a stone was cut out without human hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. 
And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, I believe that when, if we could go back in time and we could watch this scene unfold, I believe that Daniel had the entire courtroom or throne room spellbound. I believe that you could have heard the pin drop because people were amazed at what Daniel was expounding, what he was explaining. Why? This is what the king had dreamed, I don't know, 72, maybe 48 hours before. And here was Daniel explaining it to the king. I'm sure the king was on the edge of his throne, literally amazed that now it's all coming back to him. If you were King Nebuchadnezzar, what would you ask next? What, what would be the natural question if someone had just told you what you dreamed? What would be the natural, logical question that you might ask next? What would you ask next? Yeah, what does it mean, right? What does this mean? Well, you know, folks, tonight we don't have to guess. Tonight we don't have to speculate because the Bible actually tells us what this all means. Notice this is the next verse, verse 37. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made your ruler over them all. Now, please look carefully. He says to the king, you are this what? This head of gold. I'm sure that Nebuchadnezzar was flattered. I'm sure he was thrilled. I'm sure he felt proud because he was represented by this head of gold. Now, in this particular this dream, Nebuchadnezzar was symbolized by the head of the statue, which is made of gold. And Babylon was a very, very wealthy kingdom. I don't know if you are aware of how opulent their kingdom was. In fact, today, if you go to Berlin, you can actually visit in the Berlin Museum, there is the Ishtar Gate. It's 300 feet high, and uh, it's blue glazed brick. We know that the Babylonian temple that stood in the, maybe not the center, but in the city of Babylon, it had a temple erected to a god named Marduk. And the actual statue of their god the throne and the statue of that God, it weighed eight and a half tons and it was pure gold, like solid gold. There are many other artifacts that we have heard about or that we know of that come from Babylon. Did you know that today in our society, Babylon has influenced elements of our culture even now? I know that you all know about horoscopes, right? The, the, the horoscopes and the, 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 the astrology signs. Did you know that that is a legacy from Babylon? I don't know if you are aware that the word baby, the word baby in English is actually from the word babble. Now, let's pause for a moment. Why do we call a baby a baby? Because a baby babbles. You don't know what it's saying. Does that make sense? And that actually comes from the book of Genesis. I think it's like around chapter 8 or 9 or maybe 11. But anyway, the point is that this is also... Now, another element that comes from Babylon, when we tell time, we count 60 seconds per minute and 60 minutes per hour, right? And a circle has how many degrees? 360. All of that comes from Babylonian mathematics. This is all a legacy 
from this ancient culture. But let's keep going. Then Daniel says to the king, if the king was flattered, hey, I'm the head of gold. Now what Daniel says is going to be disturbing. But after you, there shall arise another what? Another kingdom. And how will that kingdom be? It will be what? Inferior. Now, if you are a student of history and you know a little bit about this area of the world and this time period, you will know that after the Babylonians were conquered, they, they got conquered in one day. But they got destroyed in, they, I should say they fell in one night, and they were destroyed by the Persians and the Medes, okay? Now, there's an interesting story that's in the Bible. It's found in Daniel 5. Basically, they were having a feast one night, and then a, handwriting, uh, so a hand started writing on the wall. If you've ever heard the expression, read the handwriting on the wall, this is really where it's from. This story outlines the fall of Babylon from the perspective of the Babylonians. Now, when you continue in this image, the Bible says in verse 39, then another third kingdom of what material? Of bronze, which shall bear rule over all the earth. Now, some of you know this. Um, if you, even in popular media and popular culture today, after the Persians came the Greeks. They were led by a young general. Did you know that in four years, in four years, Alexander the Great conquered 20 million square miles in just four years. Did you know that when he reached India, when he saw the ocean and he looked, he said, they, they say he cried. Why did he cry? Because there was no more worlds to conquer. And you know that he actually had a very interesting demise. He never lost any battles. But the way he died, he made it to Babylon, the ancient Babylon. He started working there, but I think that he drank too much. He got sick, and then he just dropped dead one night. Now, interesting, he could conquer all of these worlds, but he couldn't conquer himself. And so Alexander the Great, his kingdom came to an end, not right away, but after him, his successors ultimately fought one another for the power and the glory that he had amassed. The Bible says after the, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as what material? As iron. Now, this is very interesting because if you know your history, you will know that after the Greeks came the Romans. And this is from a secular historian. This is Edward Gibbon. Did you know he wrote a, I think it's a two-volume set called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And Edward Gibbon was not a Christian. I want to make this very clear. It's not like he was reading the Bible. But Edward Gibbon actually says that the images of gold, silver, brass that might serve to represent the nations were broken by the iron monarchy of Rome. Very interesting that he used the same imagery that the Bible uses in Daniel 2. And then the Bible says, whereas you saw the feet of toes, part of iron, part of clay, the kingdom shall be divided, and as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Now, I want to just show you on the screen here tonight. Did you figure out already that the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw was the image of a man? How did we know that? Because it has a head, chest, arms, belly, thighs, legs, and feet. Does that make sense? That that's an image of a man. Does that make sense? And it doesn't say this in the Bible. I want to emphasize this. But because we know that it's the image of a man, people have ten toes, right? 
guess what? When the Roman Empire ultimately disintegrated, it divided into exactly 10 divisions. They're there on the screen. Depending on where your ancestry is from, you actually might have come down from one of these 10 divisions of Rome. Notice it says, as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. So let me pause here for a moment. As you look on the screen tonight, you're looking at a period of of Roman history right around the 5th century, so 476 thereabouts. This is what the Roman Empire looked like or the western part of the Roman Empire. And when we fast forward in history, because I just read to you that the Bible predicted that these pieces, they would not reunite. Now, here's what's very interesting. When you reach the, the early part of the 20th century, so like 1900 thereabouts, <clears throat> so here's Queen Victoria. She was called the grandmother of Europe. Why? She made sure that all of her children were somehow married to other heads of state all over Europe. Why was she doing that? The idea was deliberate. It was so that by intermarrying, they could have alliances with all of these other countries. Do you follow that? You know, my son-in-law is here. My daughter is here. My, you know. And so by doing this, her hope was that she could somehow forge some kind of unity by these intermarriage relations. Now, she wasn't the only one that attempted this. There was a French king by the name of Charlemagne, and some of you will know his history as well. Charlemagne also attempted the very same thing. Unfortunately, religion got in the way, and Charlemagne's plan to try to reunite all of Europe, that failed. Charles V made the same attempt. He also tried to unite all of the disparate elements of the Western Roman Empire, and he failed. Louis XIV, they called him the Sun King. And Louis also tried to do the same thing. He tried to, through, through military power, unite all of Europe. And Louis XIV failed. Now, some of you know this. Napoleon, he was very, very close. In fact, of all the names that I've listed so far, Napoleon got the closest to actually doing it. But as I opened with earlier tonight, why did Napoleon fail? One could say that, you know, Duke of Wellington had an advantage in the, the grounds or Napoleon was tired, but the Bible actually says that God decreed that all of these elements would never be reunited as one. It said that they shall not cleave one to another. And so tonight, the story of Napoleon is really a reminder that there is a God in heaven who knows the future before it happens and whose word still stands true all the way down to 2021 in the midst of a pandemic. I know that some of you are skeptical because some of you are thinking, well, weren't there other people? And isn't there like a European Union? I'm going to address that in just a moment. Did you know that during World War I, as the British were fighting the Germans, <clears throat> there was an attempt made by the British to enlist American help. 
I think the president was Wilson at the time, Woodrow Wilson. And so they actually attempted to get American help to fight the Germans. And the, the Americans said, hey, forget that. We have no interest. That's your war. You deal with it. Guess what? Uh, <clears throat> the Germans heard that there was going to be this type of a situation. And they, believe it or not, actually asked Mexico to help them in their fight against the United States. But what's interesting is that the telegram that they sent to Mexico, it was intercepted by the British. The British deciphered it. They cracked the code. And in so doing, they, they stopped the possibility of, you know, Germany enlisting other help to win against the Americans. Now, I'm sharing that with you tonight. Why did Germany fail? Because, again, there was a decree that was made that the, all these elements of the Roman Empire, they would never be able to reunite again. Did you know that there is some proof that Adolf Hitler knew about this subject in the book of Daniel? Did you know that? There's actually a study, or actually, there's actually a story that when he was an art student in Munich, Germany, he actually had a Christian woman who would study the Bible with him. The reason we know this story is because when Hitler first started advancing in <clears throat> during World War II towards the West, so he went uh, Czechoslovakia, Poland, as he went West, there came a point when he wanted to split his army into two and conquer Russia as well at the same time. Well, if you know your history, Hitler actually went all the way to the city where he boarded when he was an art student in Munich. He went to Munich, and he went back to that woman that he had studied the Bible with. And you know what he asked her? He said, does the Bible say that someone cannot conquer Russia? And the woman said, look, the Bible doesn't mention that anything about Russia because Russia was never part of the Roman Empire. So he thought that was like a yes, like it's okay to do this. And I know you know he failed to establish the 1,000-year uh, you know, reign of the Third Reich. Okay, but it's very interesting that Hitler also had some idea that God had his hand in the affairs of men. Notice what he said. We do not, we do not ask anything from him except that he may leave us alone. We want to fight our own war with our own guns without God. We want to gain the victory without the help of God. Now, I'm sure that you know, communism has not been able to successfully unite the remnants of the Roman Empire. And uh, someone said to me once in a seminar, isn't there a European Union? Isn't that like the unity of all of these disparate elements? The fact is that my wife is actually from Europe. And if you know anything about the European Union, it's just a, a financial alliance. Some countries can't get in. Some countries get. Some countries give. It's a very loose kind of a organization, but it's not really a fulfillment or a, a, a defiance of what God had said. Now, Daniel says something that's very important for us that are sitting here tonight. He says, in the days of these kings, what does he mean? In the days when the feet of the image, the divided Europe, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall then not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand, how long? Forever. 
Now, folks, I want to tell you that that kingdom that Daniel described is the very same thing that's described in the book of Matthew. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. You know, folks, I know that as you sit here tonight, you are probably aware that we are living in a world in the midst of turmoil. Isn't that true? I mean, you just turn on the news, and without fail, every day, we hear about some global crisis that's happening. Right now, we're in the thick of things with this pandemic. But even without that, I'm sure you know about what's happened in Afghanistan, and some of you probably know about the rioting and the protests in France. Some of you probably know about the escalating tensions in the Far East with Taiwan and, and mainland China. There are all of these things that are happening as we sit here tonight. But you know what's reassuring is that the Bible tells us that in the days when the feet of the image divided Europe, in the days of that empire, God is going to set up a kingdom that's never going to be destroyed. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that kingdom. How about you, friends? You know, in this seminar, our goal is not to frighten people with a a, uh, a doomsday prophecy. Our goal is to educate people on what the Bible teaches. Now, I want to tell you something, and then I'm going to close with prayer. This presentation has It's been pretty simple. I think most of you will follow it. Even if you didn't, as you leave tonight, there is a handout that covers everything that I've shared with you tonight. So if you tried to take notes and you couldn't keep up, don't feel bad because everything is written down for you. But let me tell you that, you know, when you build a building, you pour the foundation, then you put up, you know, the framework, and then you, you know, you put on all everything else, and then finally you have a finished building. Well, that's what we're doing tonight. You may not realize that tonight's subject actually lays a framework for what we want to build upon in the upcoming nights. And so, friends, as we close this evening, I want to ask you a very simple question. Is it your desire, is it your wish to continue to let God guide you in the study of prophecy as we journey through together in the books of Daniel and Revelation. Is that your desire? If that's your desire tonight, could I ask you to just raise your hand and say, Lord, help me to understand these books. I want to understand these subjects. And friends, I want you to know God will guide you. As we close this evening, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this evening, we've had the privilege of examining one of the ancient prophecies found in the Bible. And even though this story takes place almost 2,600 years ago, we find that the words that are written there in the book of Daniel stand firm even to our very day where we are right now. It's my prayer that for everyone here, we can make a commitment to be Bible students. Lord, I hope that no one here will just trust what I say, but let them see what the Bible says for themselves and trust God's word. Please continue to guide us and teach us, for we ask all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.